My particular take on thing is we're an advocate for uh, leveling the playing field. We want to provide um, information and data that can help independent publishers, the smallest publishers, you know, compete as best they can on, um, on a playing field with, with the bigger publishers who have you know, far more resources. That's Jim Milliot, Editorial Director of Publishers Weekly and a member of the IBPA board. I spoke with Jim at IBPA's Publishing University 2018 in Austin, Texas. This uh, turned into a substantial interview about what PW does and possible ways that indie publishers can interact with it. We'll be listening to the full interview in just a few minutes, but first, let me welcome you again to Inside Independent Publishing. Thanks very much for streaming in. I'm an independent publisher, and I'm your host, Peter Goodman. Inside Independent Publishing comes to you from IBPA, the Independent Book Publishers Association. IBPA's mission is to lead and serve the independent publishing community through advocacy, education, and tools for success. For more about IBPA and how it can help you be a better publisher and sell more books, whatever kind of publisher you are, go to ibpa-online.org. Now, if you have a question for me or anyone at IBPA, just contact us on the IBPA site or message us on Twitter using the handle at IBPA. Be sure to put the word podcast in the message so your question gets to the right place. In April of 2018, I attended IBPA's annual publishing university held in Austin, Texas. While there, I was able to speak to nearly a dozen experts and publishing industry leaders. Today's podcast features Jim Milliot of Publishers Weekly. Uh, I am at uh, PubU 2018 in Austin, Texas. My guest today is Jim Milliot, who is the editorial director of Publishers Weekly, probably the most influential uh, magazine in the American publishing industry today. Uh, welcome, Jim. Thank, Thank you for coming by. Thank you for those kind words. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's true, and uh, so I'm very excited to have you here and find out what PW has to say about. Uh, the state of publishing, particularly the state of independent publishing in the country today. But before we do that, how long have you been at PW? Uh, happy to say I just wrapped up my 25th year. Wow, 25 years. 25 years. And before that, uh, I was covering publishing for some other publications probably for 10. Yeah. So you can guess how old I am. Uh, I can't count that high. <laughs> So uh, it's fair to say you haven't seen it all, but you've seen most of it. I certainly have seen most of it. Um, I've seen most of what's uh, led up to where we are today. And um, part of that is the whole change in Publishers Weekly itself, as you alluded to. When I first got there, we were a print magazine almost primarily. Um, we had over 40,000 uh, print subscribers. And that was pretty much it. We did an occasional conference or two. And um, over, over the years, we had spun off certain things like reference books and um, other print materials. And uh, long story, those things got sold off. <laughs> so it was, it was the print magazine. Um, but then, you know, really within the last... Um, 10 years or so, you know, the digital revolution has hit uh, not just book publishing, but, you know, all of media. And, you know, magazines in particular have been really hard hit. You know, we can go down the, the roster of consumer magazines that have gone out of business or cut back their um, 
publishing uh, rate, their publishing schedules. Um, and PW is a trade magazine, as you said. You know, we cover book publishing. And now, you know, I can tell you our print uh, print run and print subscribers are about twenty thousand. It was about half of what so it was. About half of what it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, it goes to booksellers, librarians, authors, publishers, distributors, the wholesalers, that sort of thing. Um, but what has made up for the uh, the difference now? We have a number of uh, e newsletters, digital newsletters. Um, the probably the best known is PW Daily, which, as its name suggests, goes out uh, every day, every morning. Uh, when I think about it, it's like, well, we get the daily out, and that used to be my job for the day. Now the daily goes out at 11 o'clock, and it's like, all right, so now what do I do, what do, I do for the rest of six hours? And there's plenty more to do. Um, and how many subscribers does and now that? that has about 36,000. Okay, so then we have uh, a children's bookshelf newsletter that goes out um, twice a week that has over 30,000. And we have religion book line, obviously uh, geared towards uh, religious publishing, and we have some other ones. Um, not all are um, unique subscribers. Some overlap, but some don't. And on top of that, you know, uh, we do have a Twitter following of uh, almost 800,000, um, which is, we think, pretty high. Uh, we have Facebook presence, which I think is around 100,000 now. And then we have the website, of course, which gets over uh, a million unique visitors a month. So you put that all together, and we reach way more people yeah, than you ever did than we ever reached before. Right. And most of the people who come to the website are consumers. Um, so oh, I, is that right? Well, I guess in those numbers, there just aren't that many businesses to make right. up that. And what, and what they're really coming for, and it, <laughs> um, it, it's, it's easy to see, the reviews. Uh -huh. So they may, you know, I want the review of the hottest, you know, what's the John Grisham book or something like that. Right. Because if part of what PW does, you know, half the magazine is reviews. We review uh, around 120, 130 books uh, every week, um, you know, by far the largest review medium uh, in the country. And, you know, without getting too inside publishing, we do pre-pub reviews, and that means we publish them, hopefully, you know, we like to aim for about three months ahead of time, because the, the idea is that uh, the booksellers and the librarians and the wholesalers who uh, order the books for the consumers get it ahead of time. So when the books are ready to be published and shipped, they'll have placed their orders and they'll be ready to go to the stores. So is this a create a uh, somewhat uh, bifurcated editorial uh, mission in the sense that most of your readers are consumers and you're, you're still basically a trade magazine. And when you come up with the articles, it's not so much what do regular civilians want to read, but what do we have to do to serve the uh, trade subscribers? No, no, that's a great point. Um, the print, all the articles for prints are definitely directed towards the trade. Um, and you'll find, uh, the ones, we don't really write for the website, we write for our newsletters. So the newsletters are pretty trade-oriented, but when you write about 
let's say, let's let's pick a company who would be popular. Amazon. Yes. When you write about yes. Amazon, yes. you get a lot of traction because everybody knows Amazon. They may not know the role it plays in book publishing per se, you know, in the, the tremendous market share it has. But, you know, um, let's go back a few years ago, the great Hachette Amazon book battle over Amazon. Do you want to just briefly summarize what that yeah, was? Amazon and Hachette were a fight over discount terms. Uh, Amazon wanted higher discounts. Hachette didn't want to give it. So they were making it uh, difficult for people to find Hachette's buy buttons. And this was dragged down for a few uh, few months. And, you know, we've got tons of traffic on it. Um, so there are, there are a lot of topics that... Um, you know, crossover, and that mm -hmm. the public itself is interested in. Um, but, but like I said, the the traffic to the to the website, in that it comes for reviews, is great because that's what we do. Um, right. So we don't create really too much for consumers. Um, we are definitely trade, but you know, we're not oblivious to uh, you know the trends also in you know, how you write a, a, a headline for right. something that might go online. Now, we don't, we don't jazz Publishers up. Weekly and clickbait, <laughs> really? <laughs> we, we try to, we do avoid clickbait, but, you know, we try to make it a little jazzier, you know, especially a story that doesn't say Amazon in it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, presumably, you, you monetize all this traffic in some way. Maybe not on Twitter or on Facebook so much, but in the newsletters that go out, they go out and advertisers or book publishers can buy little right. uh, That's banner exactly right. ads right. or something like that. So, what happens is, yeah, all the newsletters do carry advertising. And what we've done is, you know, we've created and generated... Um, a bigger subscriber list. So we do something, well, this is relatively new, well, three, three years or so, we do e-blasts. And so those are ads that publishers obviously, you know, create themselves, and then we just blast it to different subscriber lists. So there's different rates, and that has, um, that's been a really, uh, a really great source of uh, revenue for us. The website itself, we've been a little frustrated, um, and I, I think people might recognize that, um, you know, advertising rates on on websites are, are really cheap, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's so much of it. Right. Um, and a, so easy to ignore. Right. Right. And right and exactly. As ad bloggers, yeah. and stuff. I know we right. tell you know, look, we go to. The publishers and say, look, we get a million unique visitors, and we can document that we do. Um, and they, and obviously, they're coming because they want to buy it. Well, yeah. They want to know about a book. So, aren't we a natural place to advertise? And they would be like, well, you really need at least five million visitors. So, <laughs> oh, like, really? all right, when well, we get there, we'll see what the next turtle <laughs> yeah, yeah. is. So, um, you know. We kind of recognize we have to be more consumer facing because publishers themselves are. Um, they recognize in, in this digital world, you know, um, people have a lot of choices. So, you know, they really, some publishers sell direct um, from their websites. It's not everybody, but it works for some, for some publishers, uh, independents included. We're aware that. Uh, there's, there's more. We we can't just rely on advertising. And you know, just to mention one last thing about reviews, um, we actually do uh, license our reviews, um, and we have I think it's over at least thirty uh, 
media outlets that use them, including Amazon. Uh, oh, Barnes, Amazon pays a license to pay, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Ingram, Baker and Taylor, because they feel that those drive sales. Right. I mean, they yeah. want, they need something. Right. I, that's the short answer. Is correct. I mean, they they need to inform you know the readers what the book's about, and for better or worse, our reviews, as you probably know, Peter, are about three hundred words, um, because we review so many. So you get a real quick snapshot about what the book is and, you know, if we like it or don't like it. We, we, we don't write just positive reviews, but we don't really slam books either. It would be like, this book might not be for you or it might not be well, That's uh, not Peter's what it best. felt like to me. <laughs> <laughs> it might not be Peter's best work, but blah, blah, blah. blah. Right, right, right. <laughs> so do you believe in the old adage that with great circulation numbers comes great responsibility? Uh, in the sense that, uh, I mean... Um, are you there to just report the news or are you there in a way to be an advocate for the publishing industry or Well that, that's that's interesting. Um because since since our name is Publishers Weekly there was a perception that we were like pro publisher. So, uh you know, within the industry, you know, publishers and agents and authors don't always agree on everything. And publishers and booksellers don't always agree on anything. Um but in my tenure there, especially since I've risen up the ranks, and it was it was true all the time, but I think it was kind of less evident. And we were an advocate for all of publishing. And my particular take on thing is um, we're an advocate for uh, leveling the playing field. Um, we want to provide um, information and data that can help um, independent publishers, the smallest publishers, um, you know, compete as best they can on um, on a playing field with, with the bigger publishers who have, you know, far more resources. So specifically, what, what form does that take? And in what way are you trying to level the playing field? Well, with like, if, um, if we fail, uh, or we find out that, uh, I don't want to use a name of a certain wholesaler, but um, had a history a few years ago of not paying on time, that sort of thing. Um, you know, we, we went after those stories, and uh, we did our best to to make them pay, um, or at least embarrass them enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I, th I think over the years, it um, uh, it's it's worked out. Um, we have referred to far less complaints than we did about this particular company. So I think that's one that is one of the more concrete ones because you can see sort of see the wrong that was out there. I mean. They they wouldn't squeeze Random House because Random they couldn't, but they could squeeze uh, some two million dollar company because they were totally dependent on it. So they had then that was you know to me to me not right. And there was you know and there were certain things um, over the years about well we don't never attack Amazon, but <laughs> you know not that many years ago there was, was ongoing fights about. The discount that Amazon is trying to get from the publishers, um, so we've got involved in that. You know, and basically, we always give both sides of the story. But I, I think if you, the reader reads, this is what this person is saying. That's what this person is saying. I think they can choose who they think might be in the right, if you will. What about in terms of uh, the role of independent publishers in? 
the publishing industry itself and within the pages of Publishers Weekly, the amount of uh, feature stories, say, that are devoted to what may, might be called small presses or independent presses, or what about the new uh, breed of hybrid publisher, <laughs> as well as uh, author publishers now who somehow seem... It sounds a little better than self-publisher, it's, right, but it's right, a different right, word right, for the same right, thing. Right. Uh, well, I just came from a hybrid uh, panel, uh-huh. which Brick Water is very ably leading, as right, you right. know. I do know. Yeah. Uh, much the creator of the hybrid publisher in some ways. Um, we really do our best to give exposure to uh, as many independent presses as we can, and this is this runs the gamut. Um, you know, anybody outside the big five could or couldn't be considered independent. I mean, that's not quite fair. But once you get below really the top 20 publishers, um, a lot of the, the publishers that are out there then have a lot of things in common. I mean, their revenues are probably under $100 million. And so, I mean, that's not the same, obviously, as a million-dollar publisher. But they're not the big five. They don't get... All, I mean, the attention, the review attention and from the general media, by and large. Um, you know, Random House paid whatever it is, 60, $65 million for the two Obama books. I mean, that generates, you know, wads of attention. They don't, they don't need us. So um, we really, we try to dedicate, you know, at least one story in the news section or somewhere within the magazine about something that an independent publisher is doing. Um, but your definition of an independent publisher is someone who makes uh, under $100 million a year. Well, I mean, that, I mean, see, I mean that's, that's where it starts. But, Peter, <laughs> we just finished our feature on fast-growing publishers, uh-huh. independent publishers. But, and that, the criteria is 2 to $10 million. Um, and I, I love doing that feature. We've been doing it since I, I got there. Um, you know, we, uh, we've profiled all sorts of, um, of publishers. Um, Sasquatch Press, for instance, was in, in the feature last year. Um, and four or five months after we ran it, Random House bought them. Um, no, I'm not saying that because Mm -hmm. they were in there, but it's, it's always nice, um, when you see your, your, these, these publishers that you've profiled, um, you know, have their, I don't know, is it really validation? Maybe that's too strong a word. But, you know, Random House buys you. They must think you were pretty good. Um, and and it's, we like to see it when um, companies, uh, if you will, sort of, you know, expand out of the, over the $10 million one. There was a company, Callista Media, which is maybe only four or five years old, and they were in the fast-growing one for for a few years, and now they're 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 too big. Um, this uh, Cottage Door Press, which is uh, which was the fastest publisher uh, that we profiled this year, they just went out and bought the assets of Paragon Publishing, which was a, a pretty big publisher that ran into some problems and uh, filed for bankruptcy. So they have just gone ahead, and I'm sure they'll probably be. Uh, Earning out of our ten million dollar level uh, pretty yeah. soon too. So um, ten million dollars, though. Then, I mean, for most of the people here at the uh, right. Pub U twenty eighteen, that's that, uh, that, an unachievable goal, at least in the uh, in, in the near well, and well, yeah, perhaps long term. Right, yeah. So, if you're talking about say publishers who maybe have 
less than $200,000. Maybe they've got three or four solid titles. They have an interesting plan. They have an interesting niche that they occupy. Is there a way for them to get PW's attention? There is. Well, we have one thing, uh, something called Book Life, which is geared more towards the self-publishers or the sole publishers, where... um, that covers those issues um, specifically, and it appears once a month in in the in the magazine itself, the print magazine, and it has a weekly newsletter called Book Life, which highlights um, what's been going on in that field. And they have reviews, uh, they have news, and there's a lot of how this person succeeded yeah. type of stories. So did to. Uh Publishers who think maybe they're a candidate for coverage, can they pitch PW on that? Or they oh, absolutely, to, they can yeah. pitch. Well, they can pitch. They can always pitch me for pretty much anything. Book Life is edited by Adam Boritz, um, so you know he could submit something to him. But you know, we're pretty much open to uh, to hear success stories uh, from 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 any from anybody. Um, I was just talking to somebody down at the when I did my, the Ask the Experts thing, and um, their company is around two and a half years old, and she had pitched a couple things, but she was a little hesitant. It was like, if you don't, she wanted to know, you know, what we would want. It's like, well, you know, if you have, if you've hired somebody or, you know, a book has broken out some way, um, you know, starting to sell way better than you thought, or you're starting a new imprint or you've collaborated with mm-hmm. somebody, um, those sort of things. Um, you know, we try to give as, as much attention as we can to companies that have some success. And we off, and we do write a lot about companies that have just launched. Uh-huh. Um, so that's, you know, Newsworthy stuff, yeah. right? When yeah. I when I when now that I think about it, that's probably the best thing we do. If it's somebody who's launched and has a background or some uh, credibility that we think, well, this this company has a real success, a chance to succeed, you know, we'll definitely definitely write about them. There's a guy we just wrote about in the Daily last week, um, Clay Stafford. He started Killer Nashville down in Nashville, and it's a writer's conference that's been going on for uh, eight or ten years. And he, and he was, it's a pretty big conference now, and he was like, well, um, you know, the bigger publishers will come by and see the talent and sign them. So I was like, well, I started this, so why don't I sign <laughs> yeah. it? So, you know, that he's, he's uh, putting out his first book. Uh, this this summer, mm-hmm. so uh, you know that was that was a fun story. And this guy, it's not some rare person, you know, coming off the streets and you know starting a publishing company without any idea what they're doing. You know, we're pretty confident at least he'll he'll have a chance to succeed. So, and you are uh, on a personal note, you're kind of coming off the board now after four years. Has your perception of independent publishing changed as a result of being being on the board and kind of seeing the uh, sausage being made, so to speak? Not really that much, other than how passionate. I mean, how passionate the they are, the pub people who are in this. Angela knows I thought there was way too many Ben Franklin Prize winners. Um, <laughs> only 54. <laughs> only 54. But, you know, last night was uh, was the award ceremony, and the, the people who win, 
you know, it means a great deal to them. And um, so I've kind of rethought that to some degree. And it, a lot of it is, you know, w- you know, way more than making money. It's, um, you know, it's the message they want to get out. It's something they really feel very strongly about, some sort of direction. Um, so, you know, for, I think that kind of opened my eyes a little bit more about, you know, just how invested they are. And, and it's not to say that people in New York don't love publishing. A lot of them do, but a lot of them make a lot of money at it, too. Yeah, right, right. And get very jaded, I suppose, riding in those subways day after day, right? <laughs> <laughs> Turns no more, a little no sour. No more martini lunches. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it is... <laughs> You know, it, it, they do have, obviously, the, the smaller presses. Look, I mean, their biggest, biggest challenge is getting exposure from not just the consumer media and general media, but getting, you know, attention is a lot of this thing uh, the university talks about just to get the traditional books buyers to pay attention to them. Oh. I mean, you know, Amazon... You can get on there, but they have whatever their number is, two million, three, four, five million books. So what good is that going to do? It's hard to get into Barnes and Noble. Um, you know, you know, we talk a lot about distribution. You need most, the best way to success is to get a distributor, but it's not that always easy to get a distributor. So the hurdles that are in front of uh, people are, are, um, you know, are formidable and that, uh, so many people are willing to, uh, to keep going is is encouraging. I would uh, put forth the idea that there should be a summit of people among the publishing industry and, and avoid the collusion uh, accusation. That would, be, that would be nice. Yeah, but I mean to say to have the uh, the the truckers, the printers, the distributors, the online retailers, the independent uh, booksellers, the big publishers, the small publishers, have some time together and say. Here, here is what is hampering us. We are, we are kind of our our own best friend and our own right. worst enemy. Right. There are things that um, the distributors insist on that are. It's like why does a book have to be announced ten months in advance? You know, with with everything moving at a speed of the sure. internet. Right. Yeah. You know, does it really take that long for everyone to get their act together just to be able to sell it? We're kind of stuck, it seems to me, in a, in a, in a very old and inefficient system that is now, you know, environmentally toxic in many ways. All this stuff going back and forth, driven by a returns <laughs> tradition that no one seems to be willing <laughs> to examine. Have we talked about this before? <laughs> <laughs> it's my own little, yeah. yeah. No, no, look, hey, yeah. look, I, I agree. I mean, book publishing is, not the most efficient it could be, but I think you would agree it's more efficient than it used to be. Absolutely, um, yeah. the return rates are, are, are down, but there still are there still are too many returns. It, it does take too long in most uh, most instances for you know the product to get to market. Um, so there there could be there could definitely be efficiencies. Um, uh, still to come, and and there is you know an organization, the Book Industry Study Group, um, which does attempt to bring all parts of the industry together. It's sort of dominated by a lot of the big players, but they do try to create a supply chain. Mm-hmm. What we're sort of talking about here, right? That, exactly. You know, is as smooth as possible, and you know. ISBN numbers were invented, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. And, you know, that was a huge boon towards making it easier for um, 
every person, you know, from the publisher to the distributor to the bookseller, you know, what book they're talking about. Um, you know, a lot of talk here about metadata. Um, and again, that's because of all the digital uh, uh, inventions, if you will, that have come along, um, and as well as e-books, but also how, you know, stores and nowadays read, read the merchandise that's coming in. You have to have the right metadata. Uh, and that, that'll, that speeds everything up. So, um, but I, I take your point. That would be great if everybody could get really on the same page. They've tried, and I, and I, and I think they'll keep trying, but it's never going to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose if we were all just making widgets, it'd be easier too, but these are uh, acts of uh, the imagination and creativity, and you can't exactly put them all in the same right. slot and treat them exactly the same way. Some, right. well, some yeah, need right, more yeah. care and attention and time, et cetera. For sure. And, you yeah. know, there's different formats. You know, there's the mass market paperback, of which, of course, has the most returns. And then, you know, children's picture books and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, and those damn consumers and their changing tastes, you that's know? That's right. I know. Yeah. Yeah. You have no idea what they're going to what they're gonna like. Span. Right. <laughs> um, but one thing, you know, publishing is damned by a lot in the consumer press and business media as, you know, being old fashioned and slow. And, and some of that is true. Um, but, the big five are always profitable. They haven't suffered the fate of um, a lot of the music companies, a lot of magazine companies, a lot of newspapers. They, I mean, there's been some consolidation, and uh, you know, maybe there's been too much consolidation. Um, but they found ways to stay in business. Um, and it hasn't been, you know, this bloodbath that happened, especially in the record, you know. There, there still are bookstores. I mean, they're not as many as there were, but the independent sector is coming back. Um, you know, Barnes and Noble's having its issues, but it still has 650 bookstores. Hmm. Well, do you think this is because they've got the uh, they've got the right systems? Not so much choosing the right <laughs> material, because a lot of their books don't sell at all, right? It's still Publishers. the case that yeah, oh yeah, for yeah. sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's uh, their systems are efficient enough to um, to to Keep them, keep them afloat. Right. And they didn't, well, they didn't fight as hard against digital as, as maybe, let's say, the music industry. Uh, I mean, they weren't huge. I mean, they kind of went into ebooks. Uh, I think there was some depredation. And, but ebooks works. Um, Amazon may have caused more problems, <laughs> problem, more problems than they needed. But that's Amazon's credit. Um, and they did this because they wanted to establish the market share they already had. I mean, they discounted those ebooks like crazy. Um, and that caused a whole set of problems for publishers who were deathly afraid four years ago that the whole world would just be reading ebooks and that the whole print model that they had established got Apple in trouble. Got Apple in trouble. And the big five in trouble too. Um, so, and they, like I said, they were really afraid that that whole the whole system they had established it would be eighty percent of the sales would be through eBooks, and at twenty percent through print, it would be they would have had undergone a sea change. Yeah, but that, of course the percentages are completely flawed. And now, yeah, I mean, no. there, look, uh, no. we've probably you and I were probably at conferences where you hear all these predictions by twenty fifteen it would be that number. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, now we are, and actually eBook sales have declined. And publishers don't publicly share that, but they don't they don't really cry over it either. I mean, they're happy 
to some degree where where the business ratio stands. I mean, you know, I remember a publisher telling me, and I think this is still true. I mean, you can live with Amazon. <laughs> If you know you have a healthy network of independent stores, you know ebook sales stay at a certain level. Um, Barnes and Noble and the, you know, Barnes and Noble and other bricks and mortar st- stores stay stay open. I mean that's the environment that they're trying to create. And uh, so, from your perspective, then the industry is reasonably healthy. Reasonably is a good term. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a uh, it's something that people kid about. I think, and also kind of shrug, I'm not going to cry about, you know, flat is the new up. I mean, industry sales for three or four years. As long as we're still breathing, we're right, still alive. Are flat. Right, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's hard. Um, it's hard to grow um, at the top line. Um, you know, to the credit of the, the publicly traded companies, you know, they've maintained their, their profits by being more efficient. Um so, and some people may say taking less risk. I mean, you can take a lot of shots at the big five. That's fine. Um, but, you know, and they do publish, you know, the most bestsellers by far, mm-hmm. sure. for better or worse. But a, lot of, but a lot of the awards are won by independent yeah. publishers. And ironically, I suppose as long as the industry stays healthy, that there's room for small uh, self-publishers and other people to, to find a place because... People are not saying no to absolutely everything, right? They're they're hoping to expand their inventory and find new customers. Right, they get yeah. they have enough uh, the slack to there, right? yeah to yeah, do it yeah, right. Yeah, the infrastructure is right. there, and, you know, because the infrastructure is efficient for everyone. Right, exactly. Right, right. And um, you know, as we were hearing earlier at the conference, I mean, the general publishers do. You know, it's like what. Author platform can you bring, or you know, right, right, radio personality, a celebrity, or something along those lines. I mean, those are the people they really go after. Some people, somebody who might have a really great novel. I mean, it's it's wrong to say that um, the big five don't try to publish quality. I mean, they they publish a lot of debut novelists. Um, they take a lot of chances on those. Some work and some don't. And they, that's the nature of the right, business. Right. But it does, you know, there's what, you know, the mid-list author. I mean, that's where the real crunch is. Um, if you've written a book and it didn't sell that great, you may have a lot of trouble getting a second contract from one of the big five. But on the other hand, you can then join IBPA and, and learn how to do it yourself. You, you could right? do it yourself yeah. or you could join a hybrid yeah. uh, uh, publisher or just move to, uh, you know, uh, a small indie. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of opportunity out there. I mean, that's, you know, one of the things when we do this fast-growing publishing thing, you know, um, about the creativity of the publishers, you know, and, you know, I mean, it's almost a cliche to say it, but they're more flexible. Um, they can respond to niches a lot quicker. Um, I mean, this wasn't, you know, great literary publishing, but, you know, two years ago, adult coloring books, you know, took the industry by storm and they were, you know, published, started to get big by, um, a relatively small publisher that started publishing them, and all of a sudden, every publisher, including including uh, small indies, I mean, they all had their little particular take on them, and it was it was a great business for two years. Yeah. Well, let's hope you were not the publisher who got in uh, after <laughs> the second year, right? <laughs> right, oh, right, 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 right. Uh, okay. Well, thank you very much for coming by. Uh, it's Jim Milliot from Publishers Weekly with a lot of thoughts on what's happening in American publishing today. Bottom line is signs are hopeful. 
things are, what, publishing is reasonably healthy, I think is reasonably what we can Reasonably healthy, conclude. I think I would agree with that. And that's good. And maybe three or four years ago, we might might not have said that. So right. that that's progress. Thanks a lot for coming, Jim. Hey, thanks for the okay. invitation. Uh, that was really fascinating. Uh, you know, Publishers Weekly survives or fails to the extent that it understands the industry is reporting on. So I think we can assume that Jim Milliot was being candid as well as accurate. And I was actually a bit surprised to hear him describe the health of the publishing universe in such glowing terms. Uh, you know, from the confines of Manhattan Island, you see all the money, all the big deals, larger-than-life personalities, and the outrageous amounts gambled on new authors. Big city publishing is a huge enterprise, particularly when you consider that from Jim and uh, PW's perspective, under a hundred dollars. Uh, under $100 million in annual revenue means you ride the subway with everyone else. From the author-publisher perspective, you know, $100 million a year in sales is hardly aspirational. It's maybe more delusional. Uh, but it is heartening to note that PW does have room to cover even small operations via its book life section. As Jim said, um, go ahead and pitch them. If they like the idea, maybe you'll get some coverage. So, yeah, it is a hard slog, and most people are going to say no, but there are openings. you got to keep trying, you got to stay hopeful, and there are opportunities out there. That is one takeaway from the interview, so thanks for the encouragement, Jim Milliot. Uh, just a reminder, if you're already a member of IBPA, we appreciate your support very much. Be sure to let us hear from you. If you'd like to learn more about IBPA or are considering joining check out the IBPA website at ibpa-online.org. Thanks again for listening to Inside Independent Publishing. Keep your nose in that book. And as my bosses in Japan used to say, let's have publishing fun. <laughs>